Good People, Cool Things is a podcast featuring conversations with entrepreneurs, writers, musicians, and other creatives. Get inspired by their stories to do your own cool thing. And here's your host, Joey Held. Hi, hello, how are you? Welcome to Good People, Cool Things. Today's guest is Kelsey Chittick, a writer, comedian, podcast host, and widow of NFL Super Bowl champion Nate Hobgood Chittick. And she's the author of the book Second Half, Surviving Loss and Finding Magic in the Missing, which just came out on August 31st, which means you can pick up a copy right now. As the title suggests, it does dive into some pretty traumatic events. Kelsey's husband, well, I'll let her tell the story of it, but he unexpectedly died and Kelsey and her two children had to navigate life going on. She does it the only way she knows how, which is by trying to find humor and joy within these dark, bleak moments. I'm just going to say, Kelsey's very funny. So you're going to be laughing a bunch in this episode, even though we are chatting about some dark topics. But there's lots of good stuff throughout this. She talks about the process of writing a book, sharing it with the world, and so much more. And I think by the end of the episode, you're going to be like, you know what? I can get through these tough times. Got a good mindset. Can make it happen. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can reach out via joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at GPCT Podcast. And you can always support the show via the merch shop at goodpeoplecoolthings.com or heading on over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podchaser, any, any podcast player that has a review. Leave a five-star review. Tell people why you like the show. You get a lot out of it. You're learning plenty. You're enjoying. You're laughing. You're having a good time. Word of mouth really does help the show grow. So keep on sharing all that good stuff and telling people when they're like, hey, I need a podcast to listen to. You're like, hey, good people, cool things. That's what you should be listening to, starting with this episode with Kelsey. For people who don't know who you are, can you give us your elevator pitch? And can you also tell us the type of elevator that we're riding on? Oh, my God. Well, we are riding on an elevator that was really, really good for a long time and then it got badly stuck and it was very bumpy and we are now um, we have called for help and the doors are opening and we are about to we are emerging on a new floor of the building and we're very happy to be there um my story is you know it's not typical but it's typical for it turns out more people than we think um i married my college sweetheart in um i met him in university of north carolina in chapel hill He was a football player. I was on the swim team. I was 19 and we got married. He went on to play six years in the NFL, won a Super Bowl. We had a boy and a girl. We moved to El Segundo, California, which is sort of like being in Iowa, but inside of LA. Um, It's just a special little town where neighbors know each other and everything's great. And Nate had a very um, big impact on this town. He was really into service and I was raising the kids and we both had jobs and we had a really good life. And then not to shorten it, but um, I ended up going away on the spiritual retreat weekend to Jamaica. I was always scared about going out of town because I had this feeling something was going to happen. But I feel like moms always feel that way when they travel. So um, Nate was like, you need to go. You need to go learn and talk to these people. And that weekend, my husband took my kids to a um, trampoline park. They were nine and 12. And he jumped a couple times and then died in front of them at the age of 42. So that was four years ago, almost four years ago. Um, he died on 11, 11 at 11, which I find a wonderful wink from the universe and from him. 
And so um, all of that said, the last four years I have been writing, started just journaling and just writing the story of our lives and how we fell in love and our family and his career and what football took, you know, what, what, what part it played in his death. And then um, just the lessons and the gifts and the, the struggle of the last four years, kind of um, learning how to live with him, not in this realm. And that's where we are. And the book is called Second Half, um, Surviving Loss and Finding Magic in the Missing. And it has been out for about two weeks now. Wonderful. And there's there's a lot to, to dive into at that. And oh, I just I think I just automatically made a pun there with dive into. Uh, you said you hey. were on the swim team. Do you still swim? No, I hate swimming. I actually hated swimming then too. I grew up in Florida and I just, um, I enjoyed swimming because it was, I could be with my friends and it was outside and it just turned out to be something that was easy for me. And I loved it because I have a lot of energy. I need to move a lot. And then I think title nine got passed in 1994 and I graduated in 95. And so I was one of the first classes of women who could go to college on a scholarship. And, um, I swam. And then the last race, I don't think I've I haven't got my hair wet since then. That was like 23 years ago. I mean, I, my kids are like, are you getting in? I'm like, hell no. I'm never, ever, ever going underwater again. So, Well, at least you're, you've set the uh, the guidelines there of like, this isn't happening again. So no, that's nice. Exactly. That's nice. And you mentioned how you started journaling after your husband died. Was that something that was kind of like catalyst? was that the catalyst for it or had you kind of been writing a little bit more and then that was like all right now i'm going to do this more consistently so i've always done stand up comedy for since i got pregnant with my son i did stand up in la and then i would do events you know mom events or fundraisers and so i always wrote sets and i always wrote about my life and i wrote about transitioning from the nfl to regular life and things like that so writing was something i always had done um I really, I have so many thoughts in this, this place is not a good, this head is not a safe spot. (laughs) And so it helps me if I put stuff down. And so from day one, I was in such a haze when he died. I just knew I had to make sure I remembered what happened because I, I knew it was an altar world and I wanted to remember whatever we had gone through. So we didn't, whatever the lessons were, I didn't want to have to revisit them. Um, so I just wrote every morning. It was just the first thing I did. And I wrote a lot to God and I wrote a lot to Nate And I wrote a lot to my future self. And then after about a year, I just kind of said, well, let's see if we can put this in some type of order. And I wanted to tell the story of Nate because he was very, very, very different than a regular guy. For that process, because you said like a lot of a lot of thoughts going on, a lot of writing. How did you take that and and distill it into a book? Because I think that can be just as difficult as even just writing is like, okay, what do I do now? Yeah. I mean, I honestly, I got, I got help. I got, um, a editor and if you get a good editor, they are like your Sherpa. They just kind of, they take what you've got packed and they, they help you balance it and they organize it and they help you climb up to the top. And I had an amazing editor. I've never met her in real life. We did everything, you know, virtually and over the phone, but, um, we went back and forth for about two years and she, she really taught me how to write and taught me how to, speak in the past and speak in the future and speak in the present. And there's, there's so much English and to make a book good, you can't just write. I mean, it's not about just the words, it's, it's the flow and how it feels and where you take people. And that really, I had no idea how to do that. And so I knew I loved writing, but I didn't know how much until I realized how much work I needed. And I was excited about doing it. I was like, Oh, I'll fix it. I'll fix it. Um, and normally when I don't like something, I'm like, oh, you don't like it? I'm done. Like, um, that's all I got. So it was actually a really 
really beautiful experience. And now at this point, I can't really remember it. It feels like a dream a little bit. Um, but yeah, that was the process. So I self-published and um, the responses have been absolutely exceptional and humbling. Yeah. And was, was self-publishing the route that you always wanted to go? I mean, I, I never wanted to write a book until my <laughs> husband died. So it wasn't like something I thought about before. Um, for me, I, nobody knew who I was. Nobody knew um, anything. I mean, obviously Nate, you know, had kind of a more high profile career, but I didn't, because it was such a personal story, I didn't want to have anybody have input on what I was writing or how I was writing. Um, and it's, you know, and I've, I've always thought this book would, would um, spread word of mouth and that's what's happened. I mean, it's just, it's continuing to blow my mind and, I think there's been a lot of loss the last two years and there's been a lot of sudden loss and there's a lot of people kind of reeling from reality and what is and what isn't and how do, how do we do hard things? And so um, the timing was, you know, maybe good for people that have also had loss, whether it be a job or finances or a partner or, you know, just a dream of a life that they thought they could have. Um, I think a lot of people have felt that. So the book speaks to just how you kind of walk through that and how you get to decide you know, like everyone says, what what you make of it. And on top of all of that, the self-publishing route, you can get the story out quicker. With a traditional publisher, you're waiting like two or three years sometimes. Here's the thing about it. Amazon fixed everything <laughs> because you can basically, you know, you just, you, you, you put something together and Amazon just puts, and they print on demand. You don't have to put a ton of money up. You don't have to do anything. You just put the book up and then it delivers to people when they buy it. It's absolutely one of the coolest things I've ever witnessed. Truthfully, I'm like, this is amazing. You know, <laughs> I always envisioned like, you know, stacks of books waiting for someone to buy them. It doesn't, I mean, maybe it works that way on, you know, publishers like John Grisham or people like that. But for me, it's like, we would like Kelsey's book. Perfect. <laughs> An elf goes back and prints it and they send it to somebody, you know? So, so did you get yourself a, a little stack at least to have at home? I feel like that's like one of oh, the I best have tons parts. Of books. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. I, have, I, I do so many events now and I, you know, my only hope truthfully, and because as you know, being books, aren't really the moneymaker. Um, so, but it's, I just want it to get into the hands of people that need it. And, you know, I, I just want them to read the story of Nate. I want my kids to remember who their dad was. I'm just so relieved that it's on paper and that I don't have to carry it around by myself. Yeah. I think that's a, a much more admirable goal. Um, or even, even a realistic goal like that. 100%. I want this to affect people positively and, and touch them in, in, you know, a nice way. Whereas people who are like, oh, I'll write a book and get rich. Whew. Wrong, wrong career. <laughs> and truthfully, the book hits, it's like its own person. Like, but the book will do what it does. The book, if it's good and people like it, it'll, it'll get passed on and it'll be, it'll be, it'll touch people and it'll make them feel things. And you don't really have to worry about it. You write the book that you want to write and what it does is not your problem. Exactly. And you, you mentioned how you're a stand-up comedian. I, uh, and I think that can be helpful in a situation of grief and trauma, having that to kind of pull from to to bring some laughter and joy in. But not everyone's a stand-up comedian. Uh, some people try to be stand-up comedians, and maybe someone doesn't find them funny. So there, yeah, a lot of people yeah, don't find funny. There's, there's millions of them. Yeah. Of so for for people that maybe don't have a stand-up comedy background, how can they kind of find the humor in a situation that seems like it's super dark and bleak? I mean, I actually think the darker it is, the more you've got to, you've got to twist it. I mean, CK Louie, did, he does it too far maybe, but like, <laughs> but I mean, I don't know how you can get through hard times without making a joke about it. 
I mean, Nate died at, at Sky Zone, which is a trampoline park, which is just a ridiculous place that anybody would ever go unless they had a birthday party, which they didn't. And he died jumping during toddler time, which is just a ridiculous thing to do with small children around. It's just, it's just unacceptable. And then he died in front of my children. And then they took him away to the hospital. And when I got there and he was already gone, but I, the doctor said, oh, you're looking for Nate Chittick. Was he the one wearing the orange sticky socks? And I was like, this is a fucking joke. <laughs> like, can this be, can it be that this might, my, my, my my football Super Bowl champion husband, the greatest man I've ever met, just like jumped during toddler time. So I feel like it's a wink from him to me. And I feel like it's also like it gives you some lightness inside of just what is absolute health. Um, I, I just I don't know. I, I don't know how you get through hard times without making fun of it. I don't. I, I don't. Um, I always say when I start my events, like, you know, I know that you guys are wondering, like, how is she doing it? how is she living with her, the love of her life and her children? And I said, and I know some of you are thinking, is it really that bad? Is it that bad that he's gone? I mean, you loved him, but like, did you really, you know, like, cause my husband and I were, I mean, if he was gone, I'd be sad, but I wouldn't be like sad, you know? So I think, I think we'd laugh a lot because if not, the truth is the last four years were devastating. Absolutely devastating. Um, felt like I was on a different world, did not know how, never had lived my adult life without him, had a nine and 12 year old kid, was widowed at 40, not a clue about finances, not a clue about what I was going to do, how I was going to usher these kids through it. And um, so we laugh a lot and we say things like, where's Nate? He hasn't been, he hasn't taken out the trash in so long. You've just got a pile of garbage in the house. I can't (laughs) find that asshole anywhere. Like I've been looking, everyone's like, my husband came home last night. I'm like, wait till you hear about mine. (laughs) He hasn't been home since 2017. I can't find him anywhere. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's the way I've always dealt with things. My family's always like tone it down a little bit, but it's, I'm so hurt by his loss that I have to laugh. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I've been, I think I've been to a sky zone. I have been to one trampoline ridiculous. park. Ridiculous. And it, yeah. yeah just you don't the, die there. It's the, ridiculous. Yeah. Also, Perhaps the worst smelling place I've ever been. It's to. hell on earth. Yeah, it's like churros and popcorn, and then just like kids in diapers. And you're like, Nate is. But I will tell you spiritually what I think. Now, of course, I make up stories for everything. But you know, he drove for 20 minutes to get there, and I'm just so glad he didn't have a heart attack on the 405. And I love that he got to like a bouncy, safe place where he could. <laughs> I mean, only my husband would be like, I'm going to lay down here on the bouncy trampoline because it could have been a whole different experience. So. That, that gives me peace. I make up stories that give me peace. That's my full-time job. <laughs> now, I want to go back to your, uh, well, I mean, we're, we're talking about comedy, but I always love asking any kind of performer this. What's your worst gig as a comedian? Every gig as a Every comedian gig. is the worst gig. <laughs> in LA? Your worst gig in LA is like the comedy store at 11.52 <laughs> p.m., with you got five minutes and there's like three child molesters in the audience, two strippers and like one guy that's just like a, a guy that's just had a horrible day and can't go home. And you just, it's just, you just are like, this is the lowest point of my life. <laughs> and you get up and you do a set about like suburbia and none of these people have ever even heard of marriage or children. And it's just, I mean, there's a, it's, it's rough. I, I don't do stand up anymore. Um, it's just too brutal. And it's so dirty now. I mean, you got to get really blue. Um, I cuss, but I don't go that, I'm not as blue as 
It just, it's, to me, it's just, it's so, it's so bad out there most of the time. Um, and it's so late. I'm a morning person. So if we could do stand up at like 7 a.m., I would crush it. But by 9.30 p.m., I have, I've got nothing to give the world. <laughs> Maybe that's like a niche market that Yeah, like a morning, comedy, yeah. morning coffee. Yeah. Like people that's still need that. Yeah. That's true. That's true. There we go. That's your next uh, next business endeavor. Thank God. I'm glad we know. Yep. <laughs> I'll take five percent royalties, but that's exactly. All. Please, it's right. going to be huge. <laughs> you get you get like twenty dollars after you do like headline. You know. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> now, one other element of book writing, obviously, is the cover. It's the first thing mm. people see in most cases, unless they're they get thrown the book and it like opens up right. on a page, but. While they're exploring online or, you know, reading the Amazon page, whatever the case may be, covers a, a big element of it. So what was your process for that? Did you know, like, this is what I want the cover to look like? Did you have, like, a bunch of options that you're like, all right, let's narrow it down? Or how did that work? I mean, I, I want to say that I, like, ever since I was a little kid, I wanted a feather. <laughs> no, that's not true. Um, I knew I wanted University of North Carolina colors. I knew I wanted Tar Heel, light blue navy blue because that's where we both were and I love those colors I knew I wanted something light and simple I think Glennon Doyle's book had just come out untamed and it was really busy and really colorful and that gave me a lot of anxiety because I like I need like peace and I needed nature and so um I knew a tree wasn't what I was looking for because it wasn't but I knew I needed nature but it wasn't water and I'm obsessed with birds I, I feel like Nate comes to me as a hummingbird all the time my friends are like let it go I'm like you let it go <laughs> I see him out there drinking from my fountain. Um, so I just did a feather. It was, I wanted something light and something that was flowy because I, I really wanted ease in my life. I still do. I still work for ease more than anything. And just the sense of kind of floating through life felt not passive to me, but, but enjoyable. Like stop resisting what is and go the way the wind blows you because the wind is blowing you anyway. Um, that's what it felt like for me. So I did a feather. And then we did second half as a nod to his football career. And obviously he had football had a part in his death and um, to me being 40 when he died and that my mantra for a long time was I'm going to back half this bitch. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, okay, so 40, we're going to take a hard stop and we're going to recalibrate. And I I did that because for my kids, like I didn't want to have a sad next 40 years. I didn't want them to be like, we had a great life until, um, so I just wanted there to be a marker there. And then I kept going happy. Have you been to football games since or? No, 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 no. I mean, I never really went. I mean, he's, he'd been done. When was he done? Maybe 27, 28. So he'd been done 14, 15 years. Um, I never was into football anyway. Um, it, now, it, now it has a different feeling for me when I go, just because the hits are hard when you see, when you know what it's doing to their bodies. And their brains. And my husband had CTE, which is the concussion disease. And we didn't know until he was dead, but um, it would have been awful if he was still alive and he was sick. And there's a lot of guys that are still sick that are alive because their hearts are fine. He was a lineman. So his, his heart gave out actually just from overuse. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I'm torn with football because it gave us so many gifts. And a lot of the, the greatest men that I know are football players, the kindest, most connected, most spiritual um, but I don't know that I want to see kids banging their heads in peewee helmets and high school. I don't even think in high school. I think if you want to do it in college as an adult, that's your choice. But I would love to see flag football. 
for longer or just different ways of doing it. I don't have answers. I'm not, I'm not as angry as my mother-in-law. She's really pissed about football, but um, I'm more just like, Hey guys, can we do better? There's a lot of guys that are hurting right now that were, you know, that we've forgotten because there's just like a bunch of new guys that are coming in. Um, so that's kind of my spiel on that. Yeah. I remember there was a whole, I think it was ESPN had the whole segment of, I think it was called jacked up where it was just like <laughs> celebrating big <laughs> yeah. hits. And I'm like, disgusting. Yeah. Like at the time, I, I mean, I was probably like a teenager at the time. So I'm like, this is cool. But right. looking back at it now, it's like, how did this make it on air? Like this is literally just people getting knocked out. Yeah, Just like, and it's, it's like boxing or MMA, like any of that stuff. I don't get it. Um, we've just come so far to have not come so far. Yeah, I, I have taken boxing and kickboxing classes, and that's like with like a oh. dummy, not yeah, not an actual <laughs> right, person. Right, right. Anything beyond but that, you don't I'd seem like a like, boxer to me. No, I didn't say I was good at them. I have taken them. <laughs> I I own right. gloves, but that's uh, that right. was a gift, not right, not a right. not a pursuit of any kind of consistent career. Um, but you said a Super Bowl winning. Uh, he was part of a Super Bowl winning team. So did you get to go to Disneyland? We, well, I grew up in Orlando, so I've been to, I've been to Disney a lot that I don't think we, I don't, I guess they went, I can't even remember. It was 1999. He was with the, um, St. Louis Rams. Kurt Warner was the quarterback. Oh, that was um, a good Super Bowl. Yeah. Coach for meal. <laughs> yeah. It was an amazing Super Bowl. Um, I was young. I was in college still. Um, I had like a backpack in my homework and I was like, how do I look? Well, I look different from those NFL wives. Um, were you doing homework and, during the game? That would be amazing. <laughs> no, I wasn't, but I was like, please win, please win. I remember t- thinking like, don't put him in. So I don't want him to screw up and lose it for everybody. You know, <laughs> he was like, thank you for the confidence. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 we loved it because it's, you know, for a lot of people, it gives you some money for a down payment. And most people are not millionaires. Most people do not make a ton of money. Nate played six teams or seven teams in six years. He was always barely making it. You make league minimum. Of course, it's better than most people make when they're 23, 24. But the problem is when you're done, you have no life skills. Mm-hmm. You've never had a job. And you're used to people like worshiping you and working six months out of the year. It's just like, it's a real shock to the system when you come out of that um, for most guys. So um, football was a great part. I mean, mostly what I love about football is the people that I love. And there's a lot of them, a lot of really good men which I know they don't get, they, they, there's a lot of bad stories, but I promise you the majority of those guys are just quality. Yeah, I certainly have not met as many football players as you have, but I feel like all of my experiences with them, I'm like, good guys. Good guys. <laughs> yeah, I think too, if you're like a big guy that's good at something, you don't have to prove anything. So you can be a little softer, a little more sensitive. You just, they're, they're good people. Yeah. They're, and most of them, I'm sure there's some assholes, but <laughs> we didn't hang out with them. <laughs> There's assholes in all walks of life. So. There's, there's assholes in corporate America, football, yeah. Yes, yeah. all over, all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Now, another question I like to ask is a question that you wish you were asked more frequently. And I say it because it's less work for me. So I'm putting putting the questioning on you. But I liked yours a lot of what's the most undervalued gift that we're all given as human beings? I mean, I firmly believe it's intuition. I think we know way more than we think. I think we know the right thing to do. We know the right person. We know the right next move. We know when something hard is coming. We know when something good is coming. There's all sorts of sensors that we have internally in our heart space that says, pay attention, watch out. Don't do that. You're going to, that glass is going to break. You knew that you shouldn't, you knew that you shouldn't have done that. That was the wrong turn or yes, he's the right guy or, you know, yep, this is now it's time to get pregnant or that's the right house. 
I think if we get quiet through meditation, you start to connect to this all knowing like superpower. Um, I knew Nate was going to die two years before he died. I mean, I, everything in my body said, you better get ready. And so it, it sent me on a spiritual path of reading and, and meditation. And that, that served me very well when the other shoe literally dropped. And um, I just, I think we have been taught to think too much. And like, I would never make a list of pros and cons. Let's put it that way. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. You know, like, should I stay with them or not? Like, I would just never. Like, no just giant get dry erase no board. <laughs> God, I mean, I hate when people say that. I'm like, what in God's name? Um, so that's what I would say is intuition. Yes, I like that. And it, uh, the glass breaking was a little, a little on the nose. I've had, I have a water bottle that has like a screw off top. And yep. I'll always leave it unscrewed. And twice in the last week, I've spilled yep. it all over my desk. Because, and you knew it was going to happen. Yeah. You knew what you were like. I know that. And then you're like, what? It was Jesus. Especially after the first time. I'm like, why am I right, doing right. this again? As water is just right. flooding everywhere. It's, uh, yeah. It's interesting. We always know. Yeah. It's just we're rushing and we don't take the time to go like, wait, that's a sign. Like, what do I need to do here? Yeah. It's like when people say, yeah. trust your gut. Like, there's a reason for it. <laughs> there is a hundred reasons for it. A hundred. Uh, someday someday yeah. i'll learn it someday least, your water maybe. won't yeah. spill that's... let that be the hardest thing the hardest lesson you have today that's... i pray <laughs> i hope so <laughs> it's just every, it just goes downhill from there it spills right. shorts out the entire house right right it'll be fine it'll be fine we'll be good so you mentioned too as part of intuition of knowing what's next so what's next are you already working on the next book well, here's the tricky thing. I, the greatest lesson of this for me is to live here now, right here, like right here on this podcast in this moment. I don't need to get ahead of myself. I've spent my whole life trying to get somewhere and then it all fell apart and I was nowhere where I ever thought I would be. So I spent a lot of time thinking about what I would be doing and where we'd live and what the kids would do and where they'd go to college. And I'm like, I don't have a clue anymore. Cause I as much as I knew something was coming, I don't know. I didn't know the specifics. You know, I knew something. Um, and so my work is to surrender and to be here. And um, what I'm doing today is this podcast. And I'm enjoying the process of the book being out. And I'm enjoying people being touched by it and being touched by my husband's way of walking through the world. And just the, um, the beauty of connecting with people that are hurting and this whole world that's opening up to me because of this book. And it's been, you know, I, I always felt like it was a good story because it was my life. And, but I, I was shocked at what, what people are saying and feeling, and it's an honor to be able to talk to them about it and go like, God, I know it sucks. Um, because it turns out there are so many people dying every day. What? I had no idea. <laughs> I don't want to let everybody know this, but it is happening everywhere. Um, and I think that, I just lived in a world where those things didn't happen to me until they did. And um, there's a line in the book, cause this song I listened to that said, we're all one phone call from our knees. And you know, that was mine. And I, I now feel way more connected to humanity, way more connected to myself and I'm way slowed down. I just have no, I have no clue what's next. Um, but I, but I expect to be surprised and delighted by it. Um, I really like that yeah. mindset of enjoying the moment, yeah. like what's happening now. I worked hard to get here. Yeah. I'm not going to miss it. <laughs> it has been real hell for a long time to finally feel joy and happiness. I'm like, I'll just stay right here. There's no reason to rush ahead. 
to some other goal. Like it was, this is, this is good right here. I'm good. Yeah. I think that's good. This is a, a probably a bit of a stretch, but I, anytime I'm at a concert, I think this too of like, you don't need to record every song on your cell phone. A hundred percent. First of all, have you ever listened to a cell phone video? It's not great. <laughs> and you're only doing it to show someone else. Like yeah. what? Just be in it and then tell them about it. Like the old days where you would speak of something that moved you. Yeah. Without showing them. Be like, hey, yeah. you got to see them the next time they're in town because they were great. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. No, I love that. That's smart. Now you said your kids were 12 and nine. So does that mean one of them is driving now? Jack is driving. He is 16 and he is a badass kid. Um, he's awesome. Uh, the kids are exceptional. I mean, the kids have made it, it was dicey for a couple of years, but we did every type of therapy and thank God we had the resources to, I really think if we had more people that could get the help they needed, the d- different types, not just talk, whatever it is, floating in a tank, meditation, rapid eye movement, massage, craniosacral, tapping, um, journaling, grief groups, whatever you, everybody needs something different, but we, we dove into it uh, head first and they hated me for it for a long time. But I would say those kids walk around with very little anger or resentment or fear around what happened because we, we worked it out and we continue to, and he is alive and well in our home. And it is not a forbidden thing. It's not something that we, we can cry about it. We can laugh about it. Everybody can grieve the way they want. So they're awesome. So he is actually, um, he goes to Loyola downtown, wanted to kind of make a change of pace and try something new and go somewhere where everybody didn't know him, which was an awesome. And my daughter is uh, 13 in eighth grade, which is a big deal because you're at the top of middle school. So nobody messes with you anymore. And um, they've been home for two years with COVID. So the whole family, we feel like we're on a high just because we went straight from death to lockdown and to be locked down without your dad or your husband, it can get dark quick internally and in your home. Um, and I was really scared during COVID because I was like, well, I can't die. Like, so I was not my best version. And um, to come out of that and we're all vaccinated and we are all at school and life and we wear our masks, but we feel free again to go do and be and have fun. And that's been like, I think we're all just, that's, that's a good thing about hard times. Cause you're so grateful when they're over. Yeah. You feel so happy. <laughs> you're like, Phew, that was rough. <laughs> so that's where we are right now. Yeah. And then when you look back on it, you were like, that wasn't so bad. Like, yeah, you're like, was it, was it awful? <laughs> Meanwhile, you were like, that was bad, you know? So yeah, that's where we are. I know. I mean, I think this varied pretty well by state and maybe even by school, but I feel like some schools were almost like, hey, parents, you're kind of home teaching too, like doing some homeschooling as well as our curriculum. Was that yeah. something that you had to kind of hop on into? or? Were that- I mean, I wish I could tell you that I cared, but I was like, <laughs> whatever they give you, you give you, but I'm barely hanging on here. Um, mine were older, so I, I they were in seventh, they in the end of sixth and the end of eighth. And then seventh and ninth. So they are well-versed in technology. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I just, I was like, to their face, I was like, I really want you to work hard. Behind their backs, I was like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> like, you're, there's no possible way you're learning math over Zoom because I couldn't. No teacher can teach it. You don't understand. And you're on Snapchat while you're, I mean, I, I was just like, I'm going to let, I'm just, we're going to have a big pass for this entire time. And then, and now that they're back in school, I'm like, um, recess is over. Like it's game time and they understand, but I wasn't, 
I didn't stress about it. I'd already stressed about so much that whether they were like sitting up straight with their zoom and having their camera on, I, I mean, everybody, you know, there was a lot of people that that was their issue. I had, I had older kids and I just didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you can say that on air, but I don't give a shit. I was like, you'll be fine. And everyone's in the same spot. We're all going to be dumb equally. It's like, I didn't, I wasn't afraid that they were going to get past. I'm like, all your friends are in the same spot. Like we're all going to come back way stupider than we were two years ago. Yeah. So just embrace it. Yeah. Just let it happen. It's fine. Yeah. I'm also just always amazed at, you mentioned the technology of just like what kids have access to in school now. Porn. Yeah. Everything. <laughs> well, we, Unbelievable. There was a, a kid who sat next to me that would watch porn, and this was close to 20 years ago. So he. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That was early. He, I think he had a PSP, maybe. Wow. And, He's like, have you seen this? And I'm like, I got a detention for asking for a pizza party. and. Right. He's, gonna get your yeah, he's going scot-free. He, he just like yeah. hide it when she walked by. And I'm like, come on, man. Oh, wow. Yeah, they have access to everything. I think the sooner we accept that, you, you cannot manage it. So don't even try. I mean, I manage their screen time. I mean, I pretend to, but now they're old enough. They, they, they figure things out. And I'm just like, this is the world we live in. There's certain expectations in our family. And then as long as you hit those, like if you want to be a loser and be on your phone all day, it's going to suck when you're older. Have no social skills and you'll be ostracized and you'll live in a hut. And they're like, wow, mom, just because I was on, <laughs> they're like, that's a hell of a leap, you know, from me being on Instagram for an hour. But I'm it's like, true. Oh, it's true. It is what it is. <laughs> Slippery slope. Um, yeah. So technology is something. And their necks will be a lot heavier too. I feel like I, I know they get that thing, yeah. that hump. I know. That's my biggest fear in life. God, to have a hump, the neck hump, yeah. that'd be the worst. <laughs> just sounds so uncomfortable. <laughs> Oh, I know you have to start doing like this. Oh, I know. Yeah, that's the key. Or just like constantly hold it in front of me. Yeah. I don't know why exactly. my phone was very large in that. Yeah, it's very good. <laughs> like a poster. It's a, it's a big phone. It's a, it's a 22S. Yeah. iPhone. <laughs> it's the size of a billboard. Oh. oh, that'd be the most cumbersome, but I'd love it. <laughs> I'd love being able to see a nice screen. Right. All right, Kelsey, you're almost off the hook here. Okay. But we always like to wrap up with a top three. And this is also something that I source from my guests. So yours are your top three things that keep you living your best life. Uh, Meditation, number one. Movement, so yoga, walking, biking, outside, um, and then community. I mean, wonderful people. Surround yourself with wonderful humans that walk through life with you. Those would be the three, I think. For the movement one, have you tried, like, what's the most unusual activity you've tried to get movement? I don't nothing. I'm I'm not fun. I'm not I'm not adventurous. I walk. I walk. I walk like a like someone who's chasing anxiety and stress. Um, I just walk. I live in LA. I walk on the Strand a lot. I walk um, in my neighborhood a lot. Whenever I feel that zing inside me, I just walk it out. And so I spend a lot of time on podcasts, listening and listening to music, and just walking as far as I can until I can burn off whatever that um, whatever that feeling is that needs to be burnt off. Um, get out of my head and kind of into my body. So I do, I walk and I do yoga and I'm religious about those two things because they're two things that keep me sane. Um, when I don't do those, everything goes south. So um, those are pretty important, but I'm not like, oh, I play pickleball now. That's the new thing in our, in our old ass suburban neighborhood because none of us can run far enough for the whole, the whole course. So let's <laughs> half it. And um, it's actually been great fun. So we do that on Friday nights. And then I used to ski, but now I've had like 12 friends that have scored, 
like um, tore their ACL. So I'm like, is mm. that what I want? So I'm like, we'll just keep walking. Great. And I like to dance if I go to a club, which I don't. But if I did, I would <laughs> dance. So. You can do dancing at home too. Yeah, I do. I do yeah. a lot, unfortunately, for my kids. But yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 The pickleball is a... I've, I've been impressed with how... I thought it was like super foreign when we played it in high school. And I was like, what is yeah. this weird game? And right. now it's like taking the country by yeah, storm. We have outfits. Yeah. We have everything. Well, it's just so much better for this age because you don't have to run so much. And and so many more people can play. So if you have two tennis courts, you've got 16 people all playing. And it's like a big social thing. It's fun. Yeah. It was at um, like an outdoor bar last week. And they had, yes. they had pickleball on there. And there were a couple of guys getting very upset while playing. And I'm like, this yeah. surely can't matter so much. I get because well, everyone's drinking but... too. It's it's you can't drink when you play tennis, but you can drink during pickleball, <laughs> which is so it's amazing. It's really it's really great. Love it. Well hopefully there's lots of pickleball in your future. Oh let your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> let that be <laughs> Yeah. Well Kelsey, thank you so much for hopping on and taking the time to chat. If people want to learn more about you or check out a copy of the book, where can they find you? You can go to www.secondhalfbook.com and on there you can just purchase it on either Amazon or Barnes and Nobles or Target. You can go to Amazon obviously and look up Second Half Book and my name Kelsey and um, the website has some like speaking things and stuff like that that we've done just about our story and that's it. I hope you read it. You, if you need it, I hope you get it. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on. We always like to wrap up with a corny joke. I feel like I should ask you if you've got one. I don't I'm ever say anything you, corny. I'm putting you so on no the way. spot. Well, what's your best would, joke then? What's your? I don't have any. I don't have any. I hate those type of jokes. You have I don't every know joke. Any. You tell me yours. You tell me. Well, mine's one I it's just re- I just joke. saw this in a newsletter and it made oh, me laugh. God. It seems topical uh, based on just and well. You'll find out when the answer. But what's a tree's least favorite month? What's a tree's? May? September. Oh, shit. <laughs> so, that's, that's unfortunate. <laughs> I didn't say good. Just corny. Just corny. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Good People, Cool Things is produced in Austin, Texas. If you were a fan of this episode, go ahead and hit that follow button. That helps more people hear the show. You can send me a message, joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. Thank you to all of the guests who have been on Good People, Cool Things. You can check out all the old episodes via goodpeoplecoolthings.com. As always, thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 